You're listening to a rebroadcast of a live walk talk from Instagram. That's awesome, man. Alabama, Canada, eh? Don't you know? Nancy and Idaho. Awesome. Well, while you guys are getting loaded up here and checking in, before I get to today's walk talk, the truth about the tribulation, let me go ahead and get my introduction out of the way. Now, if you are new to my ministry, uh, my name is Matt McMillan. I'm a Christian author. I've written seven books. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Hi. All my books are available on Amazon and paperback and Kindle. Now, to be clear, I have a full-time job. <laughs> I own a company. I have employees. So I don't write my books to make a bunch of money. So just so you know that. Um, you don't get rich off writing books <laughs> unless you're you know, some big time uh, author, okay? My books are a labor of love. So if you read my books, um, just know I'm trying to help you understand a couple things, mainly who Christ is, and then also who you are and who you are together. And my books will help you understand that. So be sure to check out my books. They're all available on Amazon. If you've read any of my books, I always ask this, please go back and leave me a review on Amazon. Those are always very encouraging to me. What else? Um, oh, I have a podcast. I am recording the latest episode live on Instagram. This is where I record them on Instagram. So I refurbished these onto the podcast. The name of the podcast is Walk Talks with Matt McMillan. As you can see, I'm walking, I'm talking, and it's me. So that's the title of the walk, the, the name of the podcast. So be sure to check that out. I've had some people reach out to me and say that they have actually gone back and have been binge listening to all the podcasts. That's super cool. Hey, good morning, Amber. Honor God's grace. Be sure to follow that account. Awesome, awesome friend of mine. Um, so check out my podcast. It's on every major podcast platform. Just search Walk Talks with Matt McMillan and you can listen to all of them. Okay, you can catch up on them. Um, I'm also on YouTube. I refurbished these on YouTube. So maybe you enjoy the YouTube format. Um, I, when I first started putting stuff on YouTube, I didn't realize this, but I found out there's a lot of people on YouTube who are not on social media. They do not scroll so social media. And that is my actual ministry. It's a social media ministry. And they also don't listen to podcasts, but they are on YouTube a lot. So if you're watching on YouTube, thank you. Thank you so much for watching on YouTube. Maybe you're just checking me out. It's a new thing to you. This new covenant of uh, the message about God's grace is new to you. Give me some time. <laughs> Let me help you renew your mind to the truth of what Christ has accomplished, okay? Um, give me a thumbs up, hit the bell button, and hit the subscribe button. All right. Uh, what else? Oh, I'm not a pastor. I'm a regular person, just like you. The word pastor is only used once in the New Testament, in the New Testament epistles, in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, when we look at this passage, we don't see any list of qualifications to be a, air quote, pastor. We don't see any authority. <laughs> we don't see anybody up front in a group preaching, teaching. As a matter of fact, the teaching gift is actually a separate gift than the pastoral gift. <laughs> Some people who can teach, they have no pastoral abilities. Some people who have the pastoral abilities have no business teaching. <laughs> you walk away and you feel dumb. Um, but my point is, we have turned, and when I say we, I'm talking about humanity, have turned this word pastor into what we see today. You know, when this first began, it was in the first century by the name of a man by the name of Ignatius of Antioch. He put people in charge, said they were over a group, and called them bishop. 
Now, by the time the Reformation happened in the 16th century, John Calvin and Martin Luther took that word bishop, interchanged it with the word priest at the time, but also pastor. John Calvin really liked the word pastor. So you think what you think today about the word pastor because of what John Calvin established, okay? And anything that begins with somebody's name and an ism, it's a red flag, So I want to help you renew your mind to the truth of the undiluted scriptures, the undiluted gospel. And I want you to know you don't have to be a pastor. And what you think is a pastor is actually not a pastor, according to the Bible. A pastor never does anything of what we see today in the Bible. Not once. (laughs) You think that because daddy did it. Granddad did it. Great, great granddad did it. Grandma did it. And we do that because it's always been done this way. That's called tradition of men. Jesus warned against tradition of men. Paul warned against tradition of men. So I always try to get this out in the beginning because so many of you watching, listening, Think that you cannot express who you are with Christ because you don't have the air quote title of pastor. And in the Bible, there is no title of pastor. Okay, there is a spiritual gift of shepherding, and it is nothing of what we see today in our modern church. Okay, all right, so I just want you to be confident in that, and I want you to begin to understand it's a lot easier. <laughs> Then what Christ, then what uh, the church has set up is what Christ wants. All right. So if you want to contact me, please don't message me on social media. Typically, I do not interact with those. If you want to contact me, go to my website. When you're on my website, just go over to the contact page. I'll be glad to interact with you there. Or you can just email me directly. My email address is Matt, that's M-A-T-T, at MattMcMillan.com. That's McMillan with an E-N. It's a very rare spelling, M-C-M-I-L-L-E-N, not I-A-N, or A-I-A-N, okay? Uh, one other thing, sign up for my free daily devotional if you are on my website. Just go over to the free newsletter tab, put in your name and email address. I don't spam you, I just send you a daily devotional once a day. All right. Now, also, if you're new to my ministry, I always do that introduction, it takes me five minutes or so. And then I say, let's get to today's walk talk. And I say it in this little tone. So if you're skipping in the future and you're like, I've heard you say this a hundred times, Matt, I want to get to it. Wait till I say this part and then I'm going to begin the message. Okay. So here it is. Here's the cue. Let's get to today's walk talk. Okay. There it is. (laughs) All right. So the truth about the tribulation. Oh. He's going to talk about the tribulation. What has he got to say? Oh, this is going to determine whether I follow his ministry or not. What does he have to say? What does he have to say? (laughs) If that's how you think, let me save you some time. Hit the X at the top of the screen and just keep scrolling. (laughs) Because you're going to try to find something wrong with what anybody says. And if you're not used to hearing good news when it comes to Jesus... This stuff that I talk about, it's going to be very upsetting. I don't want to upset you. Okay? It's never my goal. (laughs) So my goal is to help you enjoy your freedom. All right? So I say that in the beginning because when you begin to talk about Jesus and then you begin to talk about eschatology, it can be very divisive. (laughs) Even in the New Covenant community. 
Okay, it's a divisive topic, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. So if you are feeling anxiety, because I'm about to talk about the tribulation, or if you're feeling anger, because I'm about to talk about the tribulation, I want to help get rid of that. I want you to feel peace, comfort, confidence. I also want you to have a sound mind. That's what this walk talk is going to be based on. Okay? So I'm getting ready to talk about tribulation. (laughs) Peace, comfort, confidence, and a sound mind is not the popular message in today's church. I get it. I grew up under it. (laughs) I still get it. Oh, you're so good about all this great stuff, but your eschatology is trash, McMillan. They love everything I have to say about grace. But once I start talking about how easy things are about the end of time, I get rid off, wrote off, whatever that word is, however you use it, quickly. Okay? So here's what I'm going to do. For today's walk talk, we're going to go and we're going to find this word tribulation (laughs) in the Bible. How about that? How about we go to the Bible? We find the word tribulation. Now, here's a good way to study. And this is how I do it all the time. And I'm not saying you got to do it like me, but I'm saying this helps me. So if you want to do it, you can do it. If not, don't. There's a, a an excellent resource online called Bible Gateway. Okay. Go to Bible Gateway, type in the word tribulation. When you type that in, on the right side of the screen, it will populate every part of the Bible where the word tribulation is. Old Testament and New Testament. You can click on each link. You can study that exact verse or you can pan all the way back, read around it. You can also do this. You can go up into the box next to the search bar, hit the down arrow, and you can scroll every single translation of that word. So you change the translation, it'll change the tally. So today I'm going to just talk about the word tribulation when we search it in the search engine. Okay, how about that? Why does it have to be a, a fearful thing or, or an anxious thing or an angry thing? It, it doesn't have to be. Okay, so that's what we're going to do today when we talk about the word tribulation. Now, before I get into tribulation, and this is not a plug for a book, but I get a request all the time uh, for end time stuff. And end times eschatology, it's not what I focus on. I focus on Jesus. (laughs) I focus on you as the new creation. That's my ministry. You, Jesus, together, the new creation in Christ. In you, through you, with you, to you, everything about that. So this distraction of the end of time being the primary focus of somebody's ministry, it's just not what I do, okay? Do I have my own thoughts and opinions and things that I've come to understand based on the end of time, based on my study? Absolutely. And I'm going to talk about that today. (laughs) But you know, if you're new to my ministry, this is not something I normally talk about. I focus on Jesus. If you're focused on Jesus, you don't have to worry about the end of time. If you're focused on the, on Jesus, you don't have to worry about a rapture or the rapture. And I'm going to get into that today too, or tribulation or the tribulation. Okay. (sighs) 
easiness. <laughs> That's what I want for you. All right. But this book I will recommend, because everybody asks me about this, not everybody, but I get, I get the questions a lot, okay? There's a good friend of mine, and he is a fellow New Covenant teacher, personality, author, such as myself. And he wrote a book about the end of time. It's called AD70. The author is Paul Ellis. Okay, now I don't get all of my... Uh, conclusions from this book or from everything that Paul says. I love Paul, but there's a handful of things that, you know, we're just not completely eye to eye on. So what? We both agree on Jesus. Who cares? You know, the Bible says, come and let us reason together, not come and let's pick everything apart. Okay. But here's what Paul does in this book, AD 70. And this walk talk is not based on that book, by the way, but this is just a a recommendation. I always, because this is a deep, 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 deep theological subject. And this is going to be, what, an hour-long walk talk, approximately. And I'm going to go over all the passages with the word tribulation. But this book, but he doesn't pick a side. Okay, here's what Paul does. He presents both sides of rapture, tribulation, everything that has to do with end times eschatology. He presents both sides. And then he presents Jesus. And then he presents both sides. Now, in the book, he doesn't pick a side, okay? He presents them, and then he presents Jesus. And then he compares both of those sides to Jesus. So read this book, okay? AD 70 by Paul Ellis, good friend of mine. Um, He's a Kiwi. (laughs) He's from down in New Zealand. Um, Super nice guy. It's actually Dr. Paul Ellis. No, I'm just kidding. If you're watching this, Paul, love you, man. (laughs) He also has a very, very awesome website called Escape to Reality. Escape to Reality, Dr. Paul Ellis, and check out his book, AD 70. Okay. That would be the absolute only book I would ever recommend about eschatology. Every other book, there's a lot out there. (laughs) But the difference is Paul based his book on what Christ has accomplished and he presents both sides. Okay. So that's, that's where I would point you. If you want to go deeper into this, check it out. It's on Amazon. It's a, it's a very entertaining read. Um, he's an excellent author. Um, okay. So when we get into this topic, first of all, if you don't know what the tribulation is, let's, let's do some one-on-one stuff here. So the tribulation is a time frame or an event where According to some theologians, (laughs) and I'm going to get into the primary theologian who came up with this this, uh, theology (laughs) of a rapture where people are left behind and the tribulation, okay? But according to Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, something that Jesus said just real quickly According to those who believe in a tribulation, whether it is post, mid, pre, Jesus is going to come back, take some people with him, and then other people are going to be left behind. You've heard that. (laughs) There was a a very popular book series when I was in my teens and 20s called the Left Behind series. And then there was a really... uh, crappy movie or two made about it. The movie series was absolute trash. Um, the book was very popular because it was well-written, but just because something's well-written doesn't mean it's true. 
Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about today. So according to Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, Jesus is saying, according to them, Jesus is saying, when all this stuff happens, I am then going to come back. I'm going to take people with me and I'm going to leave the rest. And then you have to endure to the end during this great tribulation. You got to endure to the end. So according to that theology, first red flag in regard to this, grace ends. Grace will end according to that theology. Because if you have to endure, what are you going to do? Stop sinning? You've never stopped sinning. Sin less? Nope, that doesn't count either. One sin would cause you to not endure, just one. Because according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, you have to be perfect like your heavenly father. Are you doing that? No. One sin would deserve death. So if Jesus leaves, or Jesus comes back, takes some people with him, leaves, grace ends, and you have to endure to the end, what does that mean? It, it really makes no sense for a reason. Because scripture, according to Hebrews 13, tells us it is Christ who endured to the end. And if you are enduring, that would remove grace. Where's Jesus? So here's one thing I want to point out. When you get into the, the, the branch of eschatology, where people are post, mid, pre, you know, are we before Jesus is coming back? Are we in the middle of it? Uh, or has he already come back? All of, all of that stuff. They do not focus on anything Jesus accomplished. That's the second red flag. So the first red flag in regard to tribulation, grace is gone. No more grace. Get to work, endure to the end. Fight. Do everything you can. Grace is gone. Second, where's Jesus? Jesus is not the focus of any of these ministries or books. He's peppered in now and again. He is of no value <laughs> whatsoever. Christ is of no value to those who are pushing the theology of a tribulation where you have to endure to the end. All right, so we're going to get past that. We're going to back up. I'm going to talk about the word tribulation in scripture. So let's do this. So when you search for the word tribulation, give me some time. Just give me some time. I know it, maybe you're watching me on YouTube and you're like, this guy's way off base. Just give me some time. I know you've heard different, <laughs> differently. But let me go to the Bible and just help you find these words tribulation. Because we're supposed to go by the book, right? Yes. We're not just supposed to go off of what, you know, one person says or two people say or a group of people say. And when they say it, they're pushing it with fear. They're pushing it with anger. Let's just go to the Bible. Let's get rid of all that stuff, that tradition of men. Let's not superimpose that onto the Bible and let's just go to the Bible. So when we search, if you just go to Bible Gateway, search tribulation, it, depending on your translation, it's going to pop up between one time, just once in one translation, 
and then up to 44 times. And I've searched nearly all the translations, one to 44 times. So let's just say one to 45 times the word tribulation is in the Bible, depending on your translation. Again, supposed to do it by the book, right? Yes. <laughs> and we're supposed to do it by the book in the proper context, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. So when we search this word tribulation one to 45 times, now I'm going to go right in the middle. Now I'm going to, I'm going to point out real quickly, cause I'm going to talk about this guy today, John Darby. He actually has his own translation of the Bible. And John, Bar John Darby is the gentleman who came up with this rapture theology, this tribulation theology. He has his own translation of the Bible. His translation, I think, has it 30 times, 35 times, something like that. But even then, if we just, let's just, let's just go right in the middle of this, okay? When we search the word tribulation in scripture, and we look at every single instance in the Bible, we see it three times in the Old Testament. Three times. Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel, Lamentations. The word tribulation. Now, when we search for that word tribulation, is it describing people being left behind and you have to endure to the end? No, but there are some proof texters who will go back and take those shove it into Matthew 24, Luke 21, 1 Thessalonians 4, and say, boom, you better endure. It's right here in the Bible. My Bi What Bible you got? Oh, my Bible says this. I know what your Bible says, but what's the context around these words tribulation <laughs> in the Old Testament? Sorry about my impersonations. If you talk like that, I apologize. <laughs> I know I have a country accent as well. You probably listen to me like well you sound like a country fried steak as well <laughs> uh jeez anyway it, the <laughs> the word tribulation in the old testament and in the new testament here it is you ready for this the word tribulation the word simply means great trouble and suffering Great trouble and suffering. So when we look at the Old Testament, we see Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel, Lamentations, and we see the word tribulation, and you click on that, and you read around it, pan all the way back, read the whole chapter, read several chapters, read the whole letter. What's the context of it? Does it have anything to do with Jesus coming back, leaving people, grace ending, and then you better get to work? No. It's always describing Israel's rebellion against the law. That's it. And the great tribulation they faced because they did not obey everything in the book of the law or any of it. Many, there were many periods where they completely ignored the whole thing. And in the past, Hebrews chapter one says in the past, which is explaining before Christ came, God spoke through people called prophets because he wasn't yet a human. And all these prophets were telling Israel, you agreed to this, obey it. You agreed to it. You need to find delight in it. You agreed to it. You agreed to it. Get back to it. But they didn't. When Moses had freed them from slavery in Egypt, they went out into the wilderness. 
Moses set up what's called the Old Covenant, 613 commandments to obey, which included the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy chapter 4 says, do not add to, do not take away from. So they had to do it all, not just 10. Our modern church has cherry-picked 10. And we weren't even in that covenant. <laughs> and that covenant ended at the cross because the Old Covenant could not come into play without the shedding of blood. When that covenant was put into play, put into place, Moses sprinkled blood on the covenant, on the scrolls, and on the people. At the new covenant, when Jesus shed his blood, he brought in the new covenant, therefore setting the old covenant aside. Hebrews chapter 8 says that covenant is now obsolete because it's weak and useless. We have a new covenant based on better promises. What's the better promises? Is it the promise between Israel telling God, we will do everything in the book of the law? No, it's based on the son saying, I will remember their sins no more. Forgive them. It's the promise between the father and the son. We're not in the new covenant. We are beneficiaries to the new covenant. So new covenant, old covenant, every time the word tribulation is used, it is describing Israel's inability to live up to the old covenant. That's it. God said, if you do this, I will bless you with great health and wealth. This is why the prosperity preachers go back into the old covenant and cherry pick and proof text stuff to say, if you do this stuff, God will give you a bunch of stuff. It was like that according to the old covenant. On the new covenant, it's not like that. <laughs> the new covenant in Ephesians, it says, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's not a trade-off system anymore. It was Christ who traded his life his righteousness for our death and our sin. Okay, so tribulation in the old covenant does not describe anything to do with somebody being left behind and you got to endure. Okay, let's go to the New Testament. <laughs> uh, this is a fun one. I know this is a difficult topic. I get it. But as you can see, I, I, I'm not worried about it. <laughs> Because all I got to do is trust Jesus and then read scripture in context based on what Christ has accomplished. So simple. If you, just a real quick side note. If you begin to feel, feel fear when reading scripture or when listening to somebody talk about scripture, you can immediately just step back and say, okay, why am I feeling fear? There, there is nothing to fear. Because of Jesus. It is when you don't make a big deal out of what Christ accomplished, then you can go down that path of fearful thoughts. Okay, so just let that, you know, you see people on social media, people send me stuff all the time in my inbox. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? This guy says this, this guy says this. And I always say it seems pretty fearful. Seems pretty angry. <laughs> Yet the Bible says on this side of the cross, in the book of 1 John, perfect love casts out all fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. So if you're imagining, if you're fearful, you're imagining punishment between you and God. And if you were going to be punished with God, what would it be over? Your sins. But what happened at the cross? Jesus paid for your sins, all of them past, present, and future, because only blood can pay for your sins. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. He didn't atone for your sins. So many people on this side of the cross, they think that the blood of Jesus atones or covers. No, no, no. That's the old covenant. 
The blood of animals atoned. Atone means to cover. That's why it had to be repeated year after year after year. We see this in Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 10. Christ comes along, offers his blood once. So Christ does not atone. Christ, you don't need to plead the blood. <laughs> the blood was already pleaded on Golgotha. Christ propitiates. We see the word propitiation in Romans. We see the book of propitiation in 1 John. Propitiation means satisfying sacrifice. This is why in the book of Romans, Paul says you have peace with God because of Jesus. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 also says you are saved from the wrath of God because of the blood of Jesus. So if you're afraid, I'm going to say, where's Jesus in this? That's where I'm going to point you. Okay. So when we get into the New Testament, same thing when it comes to this word tribulation. It, the word tribulation is very fearful. <laughs> it's a scary word because of what's been taught. So here's where it's at in the New Testament. Again, we're studying the Bible. We're finding the word tribulation. So we see the word tribulation in Matthew, Mark, John, Acts, Romans, Revelation. Again, Matthew, Mark, John, it's not in the book of Luke. Acts, Romans, Revelation. Now, when we search for this word tribulation... Is it ever capitalized? <laughs> As in, this is an event. This is a time frame. This is a period. No. Again, the word tribulation means great trouble and suffering. Both in the Old Testament, when the Hebrew people rebelled against doing everything in the book of the law, in the Gospels, in the epistles, in Acts, in Revelation, it always means great trouble and suffering. Great trouble and suffering. The word tribulation never describes an event. I know, I'm, I'm poking at your conscience here. Give me, give me some time. Give me some time. <laughs> and it's not an aggressive poke, but when you learn new things, I'm trying to present something new to you gently. Because I know what it's like to hear something new. And if somebody's saying it in a sarcastic way, a vindictive way, an aggressive way, I'm not triggered today over this at all. So as you can see, I'm cool, cool the cucumber right now. When you hear something new, you're going to absorb it a lot better if it's presented with gentleness and respect. That's what I hope you get today from me, okay? When I, even in the New Covenant community, I know you guys watch me too. In the New Covenant community, when, when I talk about eschatology stuff, some of you guys don't agree with me. That's okay if you don't agree with me. That's another thing. If you don't agree with me, that's okay too. <laughs> you don't have to agree with me. wanted to say that today too. I, 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 I had a plan to say, if you don't agree with me and we agree on Jesus, we're fine. Okay, we're just talking about some details right here. And the reason why I talk about details is because there are a lot of people who struggle with the details in a fearful way. All the people in the New Covenant community, I love you guys. And you know who I'm talking about. Those of us who disagree on eschatology, so what? Who cares? Okay, this is my study <laughs> based on the word tribulation. Okay, love you too. You guys are great. I mean, you guys, we're, we're, we're doing some good things here, guys. 
we're focusing on the cross and the resurrection. We, we know we're completely forgiven and righteous. So we're not, we're not against each other on this either. Okay. Love you. Um, and some people, they, <laughs> they're not in the new covenant community. They don't believe you're completely forgiven because of Jesus. They don't believe you're righteous because of Jesus. They think sanctification is something that you have to continually do to get all these things that we completely agree on, but the eschatology stuff, we're like, eh, no, disagree. Okay. So what? <laughs> all right. But here's the thing. When it comes to the word tribulation, the word tribulation in the Bible is never describing an event or a time frame. It always describes great trouble and suffering. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, Romans, Revelation. Not one time is it describing an event. So why do we think this? <laughs> we think this because of the, and I'm getting a little triggered right now. We think this because of what's called proof texting. Proof texting. So proof texting started in the 16th and 17th century. There goes a hawk. You guys hear it? Right in front of me here. That's so cool. Uh, so proof texting. <laughs> uh, proof texting. Watch my last walk talk and I talk about hawks when, when I was talking about enduring to the end. Um, proof texting started in the 16th and 17th century. It started with a group of people called the Protestant Scholastics. So basically what they would do is they would take a section of a scripture from one book and then go over to another book, another letter, take that section, take another letter, that section, and mash it all together and create a doctrine. It's called proof texting. Now we have to, we have to keep in mind, chapters were not added to the Bible until the 13th century. Verses were not added to the Bible until the 16th century. When chapters and verses were added, it was no, there was no rhyme or reason. So when you take a verse or a section of verses, such as Matthew 24, Luke 21, 1 Thessalonians 4, Revelation, and you mash it all together and you create a doctrine through what's called proof texting, that is going to be demonic. It's demonic doctrine of men. And the reason why is it doesn't focus on Jesus. Okay, so the Protestant scholastics started proof texting and then a man by the name of John Darby over in Dublin, over in Ireland, created or took proof texting to another level. He created an art form out of it and he started a group called the Plymouth Brethren and the Plymouth Brethren were obsessed with the end of time. And keep in mind, this is in the 19th century. They believed, based on Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, that Jesus was going to come in their generation. Because in Mark 24, when Jesus, and I'm going to get to what Jesus is describing here in just a moment. He says, in this generation. So if Jesus says, this is all this stuff's going to happen in this generation, that means it was going to happen in the first century. But here we are in the 19th century. John Darby and the Plymouth Brethren are saying this is going to happen in our generation. You better start behaving. You better stop sinning. You better get to work for God or you're going to be left behind. Or you're going to face a great tribulation. Makes no sense for a reason. Because it's proof texting error. But Matthew 24, 
when we go to Matthew 24, here's the full context of Matthew. Matthew 24 is the primary passage, okay? And again, Matthew 24 does say tribulation. Luke 21 does not say tribulation. <laughs> Mark does say tribulation. John 16 says tribulation, but it has nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13. It's a completely different context, but they'll use that as well. <laughs> Proof texting. <sighs> In Matthew 24, what does this entire section of scripture talk about? What's, what does it say from the beginning? You know, if you just go to Matthew 24 and you hand select certain verses, like if you Google something, you're going to get a verse because that's how Google works. But you got to pan all the way back. You got to look at Matthew 24 altogether. What's the context? Jesus was just asked a specific question <laughs> by the disciples. Now, here it is. About the destruction of their temple. He was just asked, when is the temple going to be destroyed? They just asked him a question. When will these things happen? So if we don't originally, or if we don't from the beginning read, and it wasn't even Matthew, it wasn't even written in Matthew chapter 23, Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 25, it was written in Matthew chapter 24. If you start at the beginning, you will get the context. They ask him a question. When is, when are these things going to happen? And then he says, this is when it's going to happen. And there will not be one stone on top of another stone. Context. Now, when those things happen, does he say anything about a rapture? No, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Now, there is a word harpazo, harpazo, however you want to pronounce it, which means caught up. But that word's not here. You got to go over to 1 Thessalonians 4 to proof text that and then come back to Matthew 21 and shove it in there and say the rapture, harpazo, caught up. And over here in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, what's he talking about? A rapture? Nope. He's talking about when Christ does return. If you are alive, when Christ comes back, you will be caught up into the sky. You'll float. Your clothes aren't going to be left here. I, well, I don't know if you're going to be naked or not, but you're going to float. Harpazo, you'll be caught up. The dead rising first. Some, you know, because of proof texting, <laughs> they're going to go to this as well. And they're going to say the dead rising first are going to be people coming out of the graves. This is why you cannot be cremated. No, the dead rising first are the ones who are coming with Jesus. It even says coming with him in the clouds. The dead who rose first are the believers who are already in heaven. They're going to be coming with Jesus. When he comes back, you're going to be caught up with them. You're going to be saved from this wrath. Hey, just real quick side note on cremation. I probably get two or three emails a year about cremation. Somebody who says, first of all, I don't have the money for a funeral. What does God say about cremation? <laughs> well, I have to say this. You're going to uh, turn into dust either in 20 minutes by being cremated or however long it takes or in 50 years in the grave or however long it takes. You're going to you, this, this physical shell is of no value once you're gone. 
Also, what about, you know, if you have to have your body, if you have to have your body so that you can get a new one, what about the Christians who are eaten by animals? What about the Christians who are blown up in war? What about the Christians who are burnt in fires or washed away in floods? What about them? Do you see how that's error too? It's again, fear. (laughs) You think, "Mm, calm down. I am getting a little triggered about this. If you think God can't recreate somebody with a new body, you don't understand your creator. (laughs) All this came from nothing. He can create something out of nothing. He can create you a new body. Okay, so let's get back to it. (laughs) Matthew 24. So Matthew 24, Jesus is answering a question posed to him by the disciples. When is the destruction of the temple going to happen? And then he just lays it all out. Now, here is where it all goes downhill because John Darby will proof text this and say, this is from this part of the Bible. No, it's not. This means this. No, it doesn't. You're going to get caught up. People are going to be left behind. No, you're not. (laughs) Jesus is now just, I'm not going to go over and I'm, I think I am going to do some walk talks on the specifics of this. Eventually, I'm just going to touch on a couple today, but I'm just going to pan back and I'm going to point to all of Matthew 24. I'm going to point to all of Luke 21. I'm going to point to all of Mark 13. This is not about a rapture. The word rapture is not there. This is not about somebody being left behind to face a specific tribulation. Capital T is not there. The word great tribulation is not there. That's over in Revelation. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. This is about Rome's invasion on Jerusalem. He is prophesying, speaking a prophecy, future telling to the disciples, telling them what to look out for. When all this stuff starts to happen, head for the hills. If you get trapped in Jerusalem, this is how you will survive. This is how you will endure to the end. the context. Some will agree with that, (laughs) but they'll still say there's post mid pre tribulation. We're in this part of it. We're in this part of this. They even have charts and graphs up on stage. Here's another thing. Isn't it? mm, I am getting triggered right now. mm. (laughs) Pumpy brakes, McMillan. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it interesting how When you are taught a fear-based theology about a rapture or a tribulation, the people with the charts and the graphs, the charts and the graphs are beautiful. (laughs) They're well done. Very smart people pieced all this together. Isn't it amazing how none of those charts or graphs put any confidence in what Christ accomplished at the cross or what Christ accomplished through his resurrection? Christ is nowhere on there. We just see him leaving in one spot and then coming back to reward people according to what they've done at the end. And here's another thing. (laughs) Many people will go to the end of Revelation and say, right here, Jesus said he's coming back and he's going to reward you according to what you've done. That's an unbeliever. (laughs) You do not want to be rewarded according to what you've done. Scripture teaches us your best works are like filthy rags. For us, we have already been fully rewarded. 
we have been rewarded with the reward of the inheritance. We see this in Colossians chapter three. And how do you receive a reward of an inheritance? Do you do a bunch of stuff so Jesus can reward you? No. Somebody dies. If you have a rich relative, how will you receive the reward of their inheritance to you? Work really hard? Sin less? Mission trips? Seminary? Bible college? Become a pastor? No. They die. You receive their inheritance. Same with Jesus. He died. He got it all. You had everything that belongs to Christ. Everything. It was a divine trade-off. So at the end, and this is just, I didn't even plan on talking about this today, but real quickly at the end of Revelation 22, I get this, <laughs> you know, several times a year where somebody will say, you're going to be rewarded according to what you've done. No, you won't. <laughs> Unbelievers are going to be rewarded according to what we've done. Paul even said this to the Corinthians. We get we have already received our full reward. There's not a reward ceremony. There's not a Bema seat. The Bema seat was for the Jews where they judge people according to the law. There's not, there's not a great white throne and then you're over here at the next part. There's not different parts of it. It's a great big white throne because Jesus sits on it and we are already seated in him. We are in Christ, in heaven, on the throne. We see this in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Hebrews. We are not even approaching the throne. We approached the throne before salvation. Now we're in Christ and we're on that throne. So when you sin, you're already seated on the throne. So you're going to have to deal with that. All right, back to it. Matthew 24. <laughs> I know this is heavy stuff, guys. This is not a popular message. If I wanted my ministry to be more popular, I, I've, I, I could do it. And all I got to do is tell you to try harder, put God first, Get ready because he's returning. Get to church. Read your Bible. Stop sinning. Take care of your temple. Pray in public. Be a light. All these other effort things. My ministry, boom, 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 would grow. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in letting you know what Christ has accomplished and also who you are. As a type A personality, if it was the other way, I would outwork you. And I've tried it the other way. <laughs> it's a dead end street, but it's free. We've received the reward of the inheritance. We have Christ in us, through us, with us. That's the deal. So in Matthew 24, when people say there's going to be a great tribulation, Jesus is going to come back. You're going to be raptured. You know, Jesus said, and this is just the foundational passage of all of this. He said, this will happen in this generation. He's talking about the destruction of the temple. This is why over in Jerusalem right now, they are fighting so hard to get a third temple built. So there was one temple built. It was destroyed. There was another temple built. It was destroyed. 80, 70. Now they want this third temple to be built so that they can continue their animal sacrifices because they have no way to be forgiven. They're in a state of limbo. This is why they wail at an old wall of Jerusalem, sticking notes in the crack, begging God to send the real Messiah. Messiah's already come. And he's left. Grace is here. <laughs> Sent the spirit in you, with you, through you. Okay, so it happened to that generation. That's the context. And some people will say, um, 
No, he said the sun will go dark and the moon will lose its light. That's the end of time. That's just, that's this. No, when he said that the sun will go dark and the moon will live its, will lose its, the moon will not illuminate its light. He is referring to their scriptures. They would have known exactly what he was talking about. When he said the sun will go dim and the moon will not shine its light. He's going back into Isaiah 13, Ezekiel 32. What is the context of Isaiah 13? The downfall of Babylon. What is the context of Ezekiel 32? The downfall of Pharaoh. Therefore, if he is using these passages, he is talking about the downfall of the temple. It's going to be destroyed. But we like to write, mm, don't do it, McMillan. Okay, I am triggered today. <laughs> because I think about these things and I remember believing this error of, oh, something's going to cover the sun. And then if the moon is really red, it's going to be the end of time. And then they go to Matthew 24 and then proof texting garbage. Nothing about Jesus. Jesus left me. but yet he never leaves us. He says, I will never leave you. No one can snatch you out of my hand. And if you're supposed to endure to the end, why would Jesus say, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. If you're supposed to be afraid of a great tribulation, if you're supposed to be afraid of a rapture, why would Jesus say, don't be afraid? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. All of that is red flags. All of that is red flags to say this is error when it is taught this way. The word tribulation means great trouble and suffering. And there was going to be great trouble and suffering unlike they had ever faced in history. When Rome surrounded Jerusalem, they were trying to wipe the Jews off the map. Over a million Jews were killed. It happened. That's the tribulation. They faced that tribulation. So that's Mark. Excuse me. So that's Matthew. That's Mark. <laughs> Doesn't say tribulation in the book of Luke, but he is talking about the same event, same context. AD 70. Rome's invasion on Jerusalem. Head for the hills. This is how you'll survive. You get caught behind. You do not do anything to endure. It was Christ who endured and you trusted in him. Even the elect would be deceived. Who's the elect? Me. You. The Jewish people during that time who believed whatever salesman from Rome told them to stay here. Nothing's going to happen to you. They were deceived. <laughs> false prophets? What's a false prophet? People who say Christ is not the Messiah. Jesus tells us that. In Matthew chapter 7. That's how you know somebody's a false prophet. Back during this time, there were people out in the wilderness saying, come out here, the Messiah's out here. Don't go listen to them. I'm the Messiah. But we want to twist this into end times eschatology and say somebody's teaching false doctrine. They're a false prophet. No, you know somebody is a false prophet. You know somebody is not of God if they say, 
Jesus did not come in the flesh or the Messiah would not come in the flesh according to first John. And then also Jesus, the Messiah from Nazareth is not the Messiah. You know, even Islam, they will say Jesus is a Messiah, but they won't say he is the Messiah. Messiah just means anointed one. It's the context guys. Okay. So let's talk about the other passages. We got John 16. Jesus said in this world, you will have tribulation. Some, some, uh, translations don't even say tribulation. They say trouble in this world. You will have trouble. What's he say? Endure to the end. Oh, you better get to work. You better stop sinning. You better do. You better try. You better get. You better put God first. Gee. Doesn't say that. He says, take heart. I've overcome the world. No fear. Do you see it? What about the book of Acts? Oh, it says it right here, McMillan. Tribulations. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? In the book of Acts. Tribulations. Plural. <laughs> There's no capital T. Tribulation. Did the early church face tribulations? Tribulation. Great trouble and suffering? Yeah. <laughs> Has nothing to do with you being left behind and Jesus said, you didn't do enough. I'll be back. Grace ends. Let me know how you do. No. Error. What about Romans? The word tribulation is there. Capital T? Nope. Describing an event? Nope. Describing a time period? Nope. It's describing the tribulation that this group in Rome faced. They're in Rome. <laughs> They're getting great trouble and soft suffering from the Gentiles. They're getting great trouble and suffering from the unbelieving Jews. <laughs> Both sides. And then we got revelation. Again, we're finding this word tribulation. Getting to the bottom of it. <laughs> Here we are at the end of revelation. Word tribulation is used about five times, depending on your translation. And when the word tribulation is used in the book of Revelation, is it ever capitalized? Oh, it says a great tribulation. Yeah, it does. But is it capitalized as in this is an event? No. They are facing great trouble and suffering. This is where Darby went. Oh, I'll take that passage. I'll shove it over here. Matthew 24. I'll take that passage. First Thessalonians 4. Shove it in there. Matthew 24. Luke 21. Mark 13. Boom. You're going to face a great tribulation when Jesus comes and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. We're going to be raptured. You're going to be left behind during this great tribulation and you better get to work because then it's a free for all. Hmm. Sounds like the movie. What's that movie? The Pledge? <laughs> Fear. Fear. <laughs> but yet the Bible says perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment and Jesus was punished. Here's the thing when we look at the word tribulation in the book of Revelation, 
It's always symbolic. Everything in the book of Revelation is symbolic. Everything. When you attempt to make a chart and a graph out of Revelation, you will have egg on your face at some point. Because this is written in symbolism. How do we know that? How do we know? You know, most of the fearful emails that I get is about something in Revelation. And here's what I'll do. I will point them back to the beginning of the letter. And I'll say, what's it say right here? What's John say? Oh, he says it's a vision. Okay, so if it's a vision and you have a vision, do we take a vision literally? No. Revelation, here's the thing. Give me, just give me a chance. I know it's probably upsetting you if you, if you disagree with this. Revelation is written in symbolism because it is new covenant prophecy, which is that which is to come. All new covenant prophecy, not prophesying. Prophesying just simply means to speak. New covenant prophecy, C-Y, not S-Y, is talking about the future. So in Hebrews chapter 1, the author says, In the past, God spoke through the prophets. Now that Christ has come, he speaks through his son. So if his son is speaking to you, and Christ said, I will send the comforter, John 14, and the comforter lives in here, and the fruit of the spirit, who is the comforter, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you read something and you're immediately afraid, you can know that has nothing to do with me. All new covenant prophecy, which is that is to come, is written in symbolism so that you don't live a neurotic life, so that you don't live in fear. So when you go to the book of Revelation and you proof text a passage, I'll take that one. Mm, that one's symbolism. Nope, that one's literal. Nope, that's symbolism. Oh, this section is definitely not symbolism. Uh, this part is symbolism. Proof texting. <laughs> it's going to create fear, anger, hypocrisy, anxiety. None of that comes from the spirit within you. He in here is saying, don't be afraid. <laughs> so when you see the word tribulation... It's not describing a time frame. It's describing great trouble and suffering. In Revelation, it's written symbolically. Here's what happens. Let me back up just for one other second because I want to pose this as well. How many other letters in the New Testament is written in symbolism? Any of the Gospels written in symbolism? No. Is Acts written in symbolism? No. Any of the epistles symbolism? No. Revelation, which is the end, is the only letter written in symbolism. When you try to make a chart and graph out of something that's symbolism, it's going to cause a lot of pain and suffering and sorrow and anxiety and another thing called scrupulosity. Scrupulosity is religious OCD. Some people who sit under 
the error taught out there about revelation and the rapture and end times, one of their major, major fears is being left behind. It consumes them. They're afraid. <laughs> Will we hear a trumpet? Yeah. Will Jesus come back? Yeah. But when he comes back, nobody gets left behind. It is the final judgment. He separates sheep, those who do know him by grace, from goats, those who do not know him by grace. It's the end. And then all sin, sinners, Satan, demons, and this physical realm, the power of sin and the flesh is destroyed. It's a good thing. You have nothing to fear. Why? The cross. <laughs> the cross. You have peace with God because of Jesus. Romans 5.1. You are saved from this coming wrath. So you are saved from the coming wrath. What is the coming wrath? The coming wrath is for this planet. It's going to burn up. <laughs> right now, you are in a bad neighborhood, so to speak. Do you think... You know, if you got a really good parent and they know you're in a bad neighborhood, do they think they're going to come and, and uh, write you off because you're in a bad neighborhood? No, they want to save you from that bad neighborhood. That's what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. You have nothing to fear. <laughs> Why? Because you trusted Jesus. Yeah, but I'm still sinning. It's forgiven. Yeah, but it's a lot of sin. It's forgiven. Is it bigger than the blood of Jesus? No, it's not. <laughs> it's forgiven. Yeah, but it's a... It's forgiven. Yeah, but it's it's forgiven. It's forgiven because you've trusted in him. You know, I get accused of being a universalist and an inclusionist all the time. I am neither. There is a moment of faith that everybody has to make. What do you believe about Jesus? Universalism, inclusion, inclusionism, they say you're saved whether you like it or not. God is not going to force you to believe him. God is not going to force you to trust him. He has reconciled himself to you. Now you must reconcile yourself back to him. How? By saying, thank you. <laughs> At that time, all of your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. He looks down the timeline of your life and says, it's forgiven. How many of your sins were in the future when Christ died for them? All of them. So you're forgiven. So you have to figure out a different reason to mature out of a sinful action and attitude rather than think God's going to get you or rather than think you're going to go to hell because neither's true. Why? Jesus. It's always about him. <laughs> and the individuals and the groups who push this fear-based mentality and have charts and graphs about a tribulation or the tribulation, and then they go to Revelation and they say, no, this is literal. Well, let's talk about some other things in the book of Revelation. <laughs> so if you're going to proof text and cherry pick, well, this is literal, well, this is not. What about Revelation 7? It, only, it says 144,000 are going to be saved. What do you got to say about that? That is a literal number. <laughs> it's symbolic. And it is actually symbolic for the 12 tribes of Israel. If you add them all up right after that passage, there are some cults that have even established their entire religion on the 144,000 being saved. Do you see how cults can spring to life when you proof text? 
You know, some people also, the mark of the beast is one of the number one <laughs> emails I get. The mark of the beast, everybody's afraid of it. The mark of the beast is symbolic as well. Everybody thinks it's, you know what? <laughs> and I'm not going to say it because they'll probably shut me down on this live, this live, but it's symbolic. So if you want me to say it is or it isn't, I'm not going to answer that because it's symbolic. Oh, well, it says you can't buy or sell. What do you have to say about that? Well, here we are proof texting again. And if you're going to proof text, keep going because it says a horned dragon will administer that mark to you. So a horned dragon, did a horned dragon give you that mark? No? Oh, okay. So we're proof texting. We're proof texting something that's symbolic. The reality is we are already marked by Christ. The book of Ephesians tells us that. He has sealed us. We are fully marked. So you have nothing to fear about a mark of the beast. Again, why would you be afraid? Why? Think about it. Any answer overlooks everything Christ accomplished. But again, the, the people who don't believe this, they ignore Jesus. Get Jesus out of the way, put their own effort back into the middle of it, or put their own group back into the middle of it, and then join us. If you join us, you'll be saved. <laughs> we need funding. It's a great way to get money. You can really get a lot of money out of people when you create fear. Slap your Bible really hard. Yell, scowl. No fruit of the Spirit being expressed. No focus on Jesus. They struggle with gluttony, clearly. Think about it, and that's a sin. I'm not picking on people who struggle with gluttony because I have my phases. <laughs> but clearly, this person struggles with gluttony, but yet they're trying to push this demonic doctrine of proof texting of me where I have to stop sitting or else I'll be left behind and I better get to work or is it good enough? I'm not on fire for the Lord. He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. He'll spit me out. All of these, mm, all of these proof texting passages to push fear into the mind of a child of God when you have nothing to fear because of Jesus. Nothing. His love is perfect. If you don't like this <laughs> then you really just don't like the gospel and you could be saved you just you have your conscience seared with this error of fear-based charts and graphs proof texting cherry picking theology which ignores the cross ignores the resurrection ignores who you are ignores everything about what jesus came and did and still wants to do through you. So how could Christ live through me, which he wants to express himself through me because I'm a vine or I'm a branch, he's a vine. How am I going to express love to you if I'm pushing this great tribulation onto you? How am I going to express joy? There's no joy in that. Peace? There's definitely no peace in that because you got to endure. You got to endure to the end. You got to do your part. Put God first. You do your best. God does the rest. There's no rest. <laughs> There's no peace. There's no love, joy, peace. There's no patience with that. You better hurry up. Hurry. 
He's coming in this generation. You know, the early church, the ecclesia, they never <laughs> went from city to city telling people to hurry up. That started with the Plymouth Brethren. Hurry up before it's too late. This generation, the end is near with the big sign. Christ can't be expressed if I'm doing that. Kindness. How am I going to be kind to you if I'm like, you need to repent, you dirty, disgusting sinner. Just look at you. You did it again. You call yourself a man of God. You're a whore. Look at you. All of these accusations. Look what you did. Look at your past. Look what you keep doing. Accusations. Accusations. And what does the revelation say? That is who Satan sounds like. The accuser of the brethren. Fill in the blank. Whatever he's accusing you of. When you hear those accusations, you know that's not coming from the spirit within you. Coming from the accuser. He can even influence other people to talk to you like that. <laughs> There's no kindness. No goodness in that. Goodness would be, you know, somebody struggling with something. You send him a text. Hey, man, I'm praying for you. I know this is a difficult time for you. Just want you to know, love you. You need anything, let me know. That's goodness. I didn't have to do that. Or you pull up next to the guy on the street corner. You know he's here. You see him all the time. You know he's going to drink this. He's going to do the drugs with it. You don't say, oh, look at this guy just begging. Get a job. You're like, here, here's a 20. That's goodness. Faithfulness. How are you going to be faithful in a relationship? How am I going to express faithfulness to somebody who's done something wrong to me? I'm going to do a tit for tat. You did this, I'm going to do that. I'm not being faithful. Not in this relationship, not in this business, not in this. You deserve this. You want things to be fair and even. Well, when it comes to faithfulness, all that stuff's got to be put aside. All of the fruit of the Spirit. What else is there? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Think about self-control. There are so many ministries. My gosh, when, when you're listening to the person preach, your blood pressure just skyrockets because they're just out of control. And I'm not even talking about being enthusiastic, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> and I grew up in some charismatic places and the amount of stress and anxiety which comes, and I'm not just picking on charismatic groups. There's a lot of good people in those groups, but a fruit, the fruit of the spirit to be expressed would be self-control. So if you feel yourself, you know, really getting out of hand, you know, I tell myself, calm down. <laughs> uh, calm down. You know, have your emotions. But if you are just known for being out of control or you give an hour long sermon and you are just balls to the wall, just out of your mind insane, and everybody's just, just hooting and hollering and no control, no self-control. And I'm not talking about sitting there with your arms crossed, stiff as a board, but I'm just saying, this is not the fruit of the spirit. 
you know, this Pentecostal movement, love you guys, <laughs> but this didn't even begin until what, 1901? And this is just like exploded where it's just everything's out of control. And it's just like, if it's not out of control, it's not spirit filled. That's not true because spirit, the spirit will express self-control. <laughs> oh, David danced before the Lord. Yeah, I know. That's okay. But David didn't give an hour long sermon screaming and yelling and spitting and wiping his face. And <laughs> come on, guys. Self control. All right. And then uh, I want to talk about one other passage and then I'm going to be done here. Of course, you got to, you get, when you talk about the tribulation, you got to talk about Daniel, right? You got to talk about Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, right here, Matt. What do you have to say about that? It's in the Bible. <laughs> you know what else is in the Bible? Don't touch a bird in a bird's nest. You ever done that? Don't shave the sides of your beards. That's in the Bible. What else? Um, don't mix seed. So say you're planting your garden out back and you accidentally put some cucumber seeds in with the tomato seeds. That's in the Bible. <laughs> Exodus chapter 32 says, you should be put to death if you work on the Sabbath. Mm. Oh, that, mm. oh, hold on. <laughs> Daniel chapter nine. So a lot of people, because of Darby, will proof text Daniel chapter nine with Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, 1 Thessalonians 4, and they'll say, right here, Daniel prophesied about the great tribulation. Here's the thing about that. And I'm gonna get really close to the phone for this. <laughs> In Daniel chapter nine, the word tribulation is not there. Does Daniel get referred to in Matthew 24? Yeah. But when you build error on top of error and then you go back and proof text to build up your error, you can't do that. <laughs> because the word tribulation is not back there. And then in Matthew 24, tribulation is just describing great trouble and suffering, not an event, not a time period. Also, <laughs> in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, the passage they want to use, just like Revelation, it's a vision. Therefore, you have to read it as a vision. Just because it's a vision does not mean it's not true. It's still true. Everything in Revelation is true, but it's a vision. When something is a vision, you are to read it symbolically not make a chart and a graph, not scare the hell out of people, not live neurotically. Trust Jesus instead. So what is the truth about the tribulation? The truth is, you will face tribulation. In the first century, when they started telling people about what Jesus had accomplished, you're completely forgiven. You don't have to go to this temple. 
You're completely righteous. You don't have to follow the law. <laughs> Think about the tribulation they faced. So they got the tribulation coming from the unbelieving Hebrew people. They also got the tribulation coming from Rome. Same with us today. <laughs> Tell somebody on social media that they are completely forgiven. Post it. Watch what happens. <laughs> Make a post on social media that says, you're completely righteous. <laughs> Watch what happens. You will face enormous tribulation. I face this tribulation every single day of my life because it is my ministry. <laughs> Tell somebody. I got friends who reach out to me and they're like, well, I believe exactly the same thing that you do, but I wouldn't dare put that on social media because it would come out of the woodworks. Tribulation, you will have that. You're going to have it and you will have great trouble and great suffering in this world. But Christ is still in here. So what about the tribulation? Don't repay tribulation with tribulation. <laughs> Don't repay evil with evil. Love them. Forgive them. Don't take it personally. <laughs> I got really thick skin. <laughs> and it took a while to get there. And I'm still a very emotional person. But when it comes to somebody disagreeing with what Jesus accomplished at the cross, what Jesus accomplished at the resurrection, and what he is accomplishing through me, when somebody disagrees with that, it's just like water off a duck's back with me has no impact whatsoever. There are other things I'll get emotional about, but it's not gonna be that. Because I am fully confident in Jesus. Fully confident that when he returns, he will not refer to any of my sins I eagerly anticipate it if I'm still alive when he comes. No fear whatsoever. Because in this world, I am exactly like Jesus. Now, this very instant, every part of me is exactly like Christ. Body, soul, spirit. The only thing that's happening is my mind is being renewed to this truth. Hebrews 9.28 backs this up. 1 Corinthians Excuse me, 1 John 4.17 backs this up. And when you ignore these things, that when he returns, he's not going to talk about any of your sinning. There's no movie screen of your sins. That is a lie from Satan because he wants you to focus on your sins and not the Savior. You're not going to sneak into heaven. It is going to be a magnificent event when he returns because you've trusted him or if you pass away before he returns. You're going to be one of those coming back with him in the clouds. The dead who had risen first. You're not going to be left here for post, mid, pre, blah, 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 blah. The tribulation happens every second of the day for everybody who ever makes a big deal out of Jesus. That is the tribulation. Chart and graph that. Jesus. Put a big cross, put a big open tomb. 
<laughs> Make that your chart and graph. <sighs> All right. I did get a little out of hand today. I'm sorry. If I, here's a, I want to start doing this. I don't know if I'm going to or not, but I want to apologize if I hurt your feelings today. <laughs> oh, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I just want you, to, I'm immature sometimes. What do you want from me? I just want you to be confident. And when you listen to me, watch me, read, read my books, I always, I always want you to feel <sighs> relief. <laughs> I want you to feel like you just walked through this narrow gate of grace into this lush green pasture. Jesus is standing there. You're in. You're in. Trust him. It's good news, guys. <sighs> All right. So, if you want to go deeper into anything I've talked about or written, be sure to go to my website. Uh, while you're on my website, sign up for my free daily devotional. Also, check out my YouTube channel, my books, and of course, my podcast, Walk Talks with Matt McMillan. All right, guys. Um, so, you should always tell the truth about yourself. What's the truth? You're righteous, <laughs> you're holy, you're blameless, you're a new creation, you're a child of God, there's nothing wrong with you, and you are awesome. So always tell the truth about yourself, always be yourself. Love y'all. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this Walk Talk. Please be sure to rate and review this podcast and share it with others. Subscribe right now so you don't miss out on any new content. To be encouraged daily, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want even more information on my ministry or to check out my books, go to www.mattmcmillan.com.